Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. I would encourage you, those little cards that you have, you can pop them in your wallet, in your purse, in your pocket, in your Bible. Keep them somewhere safe. Invest in the way that you're thinking and working with God, not against God. How you're allowing Him to reveal His glory to you and through you. Am I still on this or how are we doing? Oh, <laughs> that's how we're doing. Okay. <laughs> All right. I should have noticed the weight difference, shouldn't I? I like, Never mind. Okay. Um, we as a church are spending some time um, considering a number of questions. Um, and we've... Uh, had the opportunity to ask the questions uh, that we we wished well somebody would ask and 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 hopefully have them answered and have them answered in in lots of different and exciting ways to hear what the scriptures have to speak into our lives um, because the bible is alive it's living and it's active does anybody believe that today? I really hope that you do. Uh, it's going to come as a real surprise to you if it starts to cut into your life if you don't. Uh, but the Bible speaks to us, enables us to live in a Christ-like manner if we submit our life to Jesus. And uh, the Bible is full of truth, it's full of wisdom, it's full of grace, it's full of power. And uh, we have been seeking answers to a number of different questions in this way. And um, we've also been hearing I think particularly of, of, last, of last Sunday, of, of how uh, the word of God and indeed the power of God has spoken through testimony. And Pastor Nick was able to share last week that it's not religious activity, it's not religion in fact at all, that enables us to connect with and encounter and be changed by God. It's God himself. And he meets with us powerfully, changes our lives, changes our families, changes our circumstances. Through Christians, through the church, the world is changed. I don't know. Has anybody experienced change from God? Have you experienced, do you want to be a part of change with God? Yeah? Okay, we're thinking about it. I'm not sure, but you can be. The Bible says that you can be a co-laborer with Christ Jesus. I don't know when you're thinking about going to work tomorrow. Uh, any of you sit at a desk? Anybody sit at a desk? Can you imagine Jesus comes and sits next to you at the next desk? Yeah? The co-laboring with Christ Jesus. He's present by his spirit. Anybody going to school tomorrow? Anyone going to school? Okay, don't be, don't be so sad about it. It's all right. Have you got exams? Oh, maybe it is bad. I don't know. Co-laboring with Christ Jesus. Jesus sat in the next desk to you. It's not that person who like fires spitballs at you and really irritates you. It's not them. It's Jesus with you. Does anybody work in a shop? Anybody work in a shop? How about Jesus in your shop? Yeah? How about Jesus there with you? You can co-labor with Christ Jesus in a factory. Anybody work in a factory or a warehouse? Anything like that? Jesus working with you in that place. Some of you work in hospitals and doctor's surgeries and pharmacies and all sorts of healthcare and social care and residential care homes. How about Jesus working with you? Yeah? You're saying, oh, I wish Jesus would do some of the tasks I have to do, actually. Could he not just... I'm sorry, that's your part. <laughs> but Jesus is co-laboring with you, co-laboring, inviting you to co-labor with him. 
And the work that you're doing is incredibly important. You are establishing something of God's created order through the investment that you give. Did you know that? Did you know that? You're actually seeing something of God's created order come into your world. What you're doing is not insignificant. But even more than that, something of the kingdom can break in. Something of the supernatural can break into the natural. By your presence, submitted to God, full of the Holy Spirit, you are doing something incredibly significant. I have absolutely no idea how we got there. Does anybody know where where we've come from? Where are we going? Anyhow, I know that we've got some good questions to answer. And the question uh, that you've asked that we could um, talk about today And in fact, it was the question that more people asked for than any other question on those little cards that you filled in, was this question. What's the big deal with being gay? That was the question that you wanted to ask or have answered more than any other question. And I would suggest that it's probably one of the more contentious and one of the more pressing questions of our time. I'm being guided by a gentleman who we're we're, we're kind of celebrating this year. It's the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And Martin Luther, apparently he once said this, if we preach the gospel in all areas except in that area where it is most challenged in our society, then we have failed to preach the gospel. That's quite challenging, isn't it? That's quite challenging. We need to preach the gospel And not just the nice bits of the gospel that, you know, everyone's going to really enjoy and thank you for. You know, those kind of fluffy kind of puppy bits of the gospel. You know the bits that I mean? Uh, The kind of the chocolate cake bits of the gospel. The nice bits that everybody's on board with. You're looking at me like I'm talking in another language. You know, there are bits about Jesus that everybody likes. Yeah? Okay. You know that? But there are also bits about Jesus that are incredibly challenging. Do you know that? Okay, I hope you know that, because otherwise we're going to have to do some work. But Jesus comes and he brings invitation and challenge. Martin Luther there is speaking and he's saying, we need to address areas not only of welcome, areas not only of ease, areas where everyone agrees, absolutely, but also areas where there is difference and difficulty, areas where people actually find themselves excluded or ostracized or in all sorts of pain because of confusion or rejection or all of the things that happen in our world today. Christian? You have something to say about that. You have something to say. You have a message of love and of hope. Not of false hope, but of true and genuine hope. And I know uh, from conversations with many of you uh, that issues of human sexuality, and particularly of same-sex attraction, are ones that they are very live issues for you. We talked, didn't we, uh, when we began this series, that some questions are armchair questions. We're just interested But we're comfy, we're fine, they don't really affect us, they don't really uh, go deep to our circumstance, our condition. Some questions are more wheelchair questions, yeah? They've affected us, damaged us, hurt us, and they cause us genuine trouble. Maybe they're questions that keep you awake at night. They're not something that you sit back and relax and think, well, what has this got to do with me? They're questions that you say, this has everything to do with me. 
And I, I know that many of you here today, as we address this question, your friends and family members, work colleagues, those in your schools, and it's very, very real, this a subject. Personally, it may be something that you wrestle with. And this church is a place of welcome for people who want to genuinely walk and wrestle with God. Wrestling with God is a biblical thing. Did you know that? You might actually find that you come out with some evidence of the wrestling. Uh, certainly uh, a man named Jacob did. But wrestling with God is not such a bad thing in itself. Even if you're here today and you're saying, why are you talking about this, Pastor Greg? I ask myself the same questions regularly. But uh, even if you're saying, this has got nothing to do with me, can I suggest that issues of human sexuality, how we are made by God, how we are made to flourish according to his best for us, according to his boundaries for us, it's actually a subject for us all. As we talk and study today, it'll be clear that what we're talking about, it's less actually to do with issues of gay or straight or anything else. And it's more about being the people that God has made us to be and that we can be through Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, I think it's right today to begin with a recognition. And indeed, it's something of an apology for the way that the Christian church may have engaged and certainly has engaged with the issue in the past. How the church has engaged with people who have often sought the input of the Bible or the input of the gospel only to be met with hostility, lack of understanding, even hate or hurt. There can be no room for such prejudice and rejection of anyone by the church of Jesus. For we follow a savior who welcomed all, and he welcomes all, who can accept all, though not agreeing with all, and who is the means of salvation and hope and life for all who come to him and are changed by him. If you today, as a Christian, find that when you're honest with yourself, you come to this or to other questions and queries. You come to this or to other groups of people with anger or hate in your heart. Then you must repent before God. There is no wiggle room on that matter. If you find that you are tempted or indeed you have pontificated on the matter, maybe on social media, maybe down the pub, maybe even in your living room, if you find that you are pompously pronouncing truth separated from grace, then you also must stop. For there is no room for truth without grace. The Bible teaches very clearly in John chapter 1 that when Jesus came into our world, people beheld his glory, the glory as of the one and only. And that what people were seeing was a Jesus who was full of grace and truth. And you cannot separate one from the other people are far too precious to God and ought to be so precious to us that we refuse to megaphone our opinions about people refuse to speak winsomely carefully encouragingly albeit challengingly on a one-on-one -on -one with people who know us who are known by us who love us and we love as well now, having said that, equally, 
if any of us, and if those who would seek to follow Christ, fail to invest in what God has to say, and he has lots to say about human sexuality, what the Bible teaches clearly, then there also needs to be a pause. Pause in your settled opinions and allow God to unsettle you perhaps so that he can resettle you in himself, which is where we belong. Let's dive right in. Now, if I use terminology and, uh, or if I uh, express things in a way that you find difficult or that you perhaps say, well, I, I don't think that's how you should say it, Pastor Greg, then would you please forgive me and work with me as I do this? Because while I am absolutely sure and certain about what the Bible says about human sexuality, I'm not always sure about what I say. Anyone else ever not sure about what they say? Okay, uh, good. It's not just me. So if I say something and you think, well, I'm not sure I've got, you've got that quite right, Pastor Greg. Hey, we've got a Q&A afterwards. So you can come and throw tomorrow. I mean, you can come and talk to me. And, uh, and we can work through these issues together. But I'm sure about what the Bible says. But firstly, it's worth thinking about why we ought to listen to God. Why should we listen to God? Now, you're Christians, I guess most of you, many of you, maybe all of you, or at least you're here because you're exploring and wanting to know a little more about the Christian faith. And you may say, well, duh, you know, we listen to God because he's God, Greg. You know, how do you not know this? Come on, think about it. Think about it. Why should you listen to God? Why should you care what the Bible says about human sexuality or, well, about anything, everything else? We each have a worldview. Everyone does. A worldview, put it very simply, it's a way you view the world. Did you see what I did there? Yeah, I just flipped it up there. Okay. You're really not coming with me today, are you, you grumpy bunch? But uh, we each have a worldview. And uh, it affects everything. It affects all of the ways that you see everything, the choices that you make. It affects how you think things are put together, how things work, the meaning of everything. Our worldview informs and directs the decisions we make, the way that we live in everyday matters, and in the really big questions of life. You may say, I, well, I, I don't know about this. Does everyone have a worldview? I've heard it a little bit described like this, that... Um, your worldview or the culture that you, you craft or you're a part of, it's a little bit like a fish in water. Think about the fish for a moment. Are you thinking about a fish? Okay. Trout? Salmon? I don't know. You're thinking about a fish. Okay. They're in water. Uh, that fish doesn't wake up every morning. I don't even, do fish wake up? I don't even know that. But imagine if the fish wait, they do. Okay, good. Thank you, Vasola. I, I don't know. But I, I imagine the fish doesn't wake up every morning and think, oh, I'm surrounded by water. They don't do it, do they? Truth is, you don't wake up every morning and think, oh, there's air everywhere again. What a surprise. It's just there, isn't it? It's always been there, perhaps, or as, as far back as you can remember. It's a little bit like that with your worldview, but it affects the way that you live. It affects who you are fundamentally. A fish is surrounded by water, so it doesn't get its oxygen in the same way as you or me. We're surrounded by air, which is why when you go swimming, you, you shouldn't breathe in. I hope you know that. Okay, good. Worldview affects everything from the everyday all the way up to the really big things. Now, a Christian worldview 
is one that recognizes that God created the world perfectly. We're going to talk about that more tonight as it happens. With perfect people able to live perfect lives in perfect connection with him. That sounds good, doesn't it? Oh, wow. (laughs) I thought it sounded good. Right, we'll do a salvation appeal in a moment. This is the world that God created. But through choice to reject God's perfect will and his perfect rule in our world and our lives, we each, the Christian worldview teaches, have fallen from relationship with him, fallen into the brokenness of our world, fallen to the death which has entered it. Through Jesus, however, God has made a way for our rebellion to be the word is atoned for. It's a a type of pardoning. God has made a way through Jesus for our brokenness to be healed, for our relationship with God to be mended. And that healing is something that came into force through Jesus' cross and his resurrection. And it's continuing in greater and greater measure until he comes again in glory. He's coming to make all things new and perfect and good. That's a Christian worldview of who we are and where we are and what's happened and what's happening and what's going to happen. Now, if this is your worldview, then you'll want to know how you can be a part of Jesus' grace and mercy. If it isn't yet your worldview, maybe you'll see that all things being made new in Jesus is such a great plan. Yeah? Are you aware of anything in your world and you look at it, either personally or on the news, and you say, that needs to be made new? You ever had that experience? We know this, don't we, fundamentally, to know that Jesus intends to make everything new in him. It's a fantastic plan. And maybe you'll listen to how you can be a part of that personally. So, when we come to the issue of human sexuality, what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says a great deal. And when we come into the the issue of same-sex attraction, the Bible actually talks about homosexual activity in just a handful of passages It is certainly not the main point of the Bible. It's not. I don't know whether you get the impression within our culture, really the only time the church is ever mentioned is when the issue of human sexuality seems to come up. And people perhaps in your classes, in your schools, in your places of work, in your families or your streets, maybe they think that you're a little bit obsessed with sex. That's awkward, isn't it? But the Bible isn't. But the Bible does have a lot to say about sexual ethic. It is a big deal to God, although it's not the main point of the Bible. And there are many, many passages about how we ought to conduct ourselves as followers of God. Remember that sex is God's creation too. But he has created it when it's in its rightful place to be a blessing to humanity. If I can say it, um, none of us were here without it. I don't know, that's an obvious point, isn't it? But uh, it has purpose and possibility. But when it's removed from its rightful place, it can sadly become a curse to humanity. And today, you'll see that I'm going to make a clear distinction between homosexual activity, which the Bible does speak about, 
and which the Bible does call sinful. We remember that sin is a matter of thought as well as action. I'm going to make a distinction between that and same-sex attraction, which is something that is certainly a part of our world and which even faithful Christians, a number of faithful Christians, do wrestle with and find God-honoring ways to submit to his grace and his wholeness in this. If this is something that you want to look into a little bit more, I recommend a few uh, resources for you. There's a great website um, by some faithful Christians called Living Out, and it's um, an amazing resource to discover more. I have a few book recommendations for you, as I often do. And uh, the first one is by a gentleman called Kevin DeYoung. It's, it's entitled, What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? It's a fantastic book. There's another book by a man named Sam Albury, who's a vicar in the Church of England, and his book is, Is God Anti-Gay? Has anybody ever leveled that at you? Kind of chucked that at you? It's a really great book to read. I've just started reading another book uh, by a guy called Alex Ty Lee, which is called Walking with Gay Friends, and it's not about hiking in Scotland. Um, I thought maybe it would be. It's more about, you know, fundamental life issues. It looks very good, but I've only just started it. Now, with regard to homosexual activity, what does the Bible really say? Well, we'll begin near the beginning, Leviticus uh, chapter 18. It sets out God's moral law on the matter, where the Bible there says, you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. And again, in Leviticus 20 and verse 13, the Bible says, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Now, the Bible here says something that is very time-specific, and it is very extreme, and we should not pretend that it's not. But in that regard, it then says, they shall surely be put to death, their blood is upon them. Now, the, the language that is used here is very specific language for a very specific occasion. But as we shall see, there is something that is fundamentally true that actually pertains even through the New Testament and to this very day. The language that's used about homosexual activity here is very general. Now, the Bible is not prohibiting just one particular form or one particular type. No people oftentimes say that the Bible is doing that, but the, the language that's used here doesn't actually do that. I know for some of you here today, you might hear the, the word abomination. You might think, well, that's far too strong. Who has a right to say something like that? Maybe some of the people that you know, you, you just know that you couldn't use that language with them. They'd be offended. They'd be distraught. They'd be horrified. But can we actually get to grips with what the language here means, what it is? Firstly, this word abomination, it's used with regards to things that the Bible says are idolatrous. Now, that means that we place things in a position within our lives or we worship or give these things honor in a way that actually separates from God. It's the honor that ought to be given to God, but we put other things, ways of living or things that seem very important to us, we place them in the way of God. So the Bible uses this idea of abomination in Leviticus for a number of um, sexual activities that are outside of marriage. But later on in the book of Proverbs, also things like deceit or pride or murder, which Jesus says begins with hate, they also are described as abominable to God. 
I think it's so important that we find that uh, deceit and pride are abominations. I think they're things that are found all too often in the Christian church. And I think when we're starting to talk about these subjects, ought we not really to examine our own hearts first uh, before we start to identify other things that maybe we think are worse, but the Bible says are the same. What is God trying to say to us? Well, there are many ways that we can dishonor God with abominable sins of idolatry. But the Bible is clear that homosexual activity is one of those ways. Now you might say, well, that's Leviticus, Pastor Greg. You are a pastor. You know that literally three people in this church have read Leviticus. You know that that's true. Why should we pay any attention to the book of Leviticus? Well, I would say firstly because it's in the Bible. But if that won't do for you, can we read some more of the Bible and see if we can shine a better light on the subject matter today? I'm going to read from Romans chapter 1. And this is a little passage that I'd like us to read here. The Bible at the beginning of Romans is talking about how all of creation, everything and every part has gone away from God. And within that, we find something that talks about homosexual activity, but it's a part of that movement away from God, of which we have all been a part. And we've only been rescued by Jesus. Do you remember that? But Romans 1, we're going to read from verse 18 for a moment. It says there that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, and it means all of humanity, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, there's an exchange there between honoring God and dishonoring God and the way of dishonoring God is the way that humanity has chosen. As we move on, there's another exchange. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That's how we might see idolatry in ancient times. But idolatry still persists today. People do exchange God to worship things. Therefore, in verse 24, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because, here it is again, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And the Bible goes on. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And it goes on then to, to make again the case that this is within a framework of wider sin. 
And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Don't you hate it when the Bible covers pretty much everybody on earth? It's just, it's offensive, isn't it? How can, what does the Bible do in putting me in there? I need Jesus. We need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. Shall I keep on going until we're all saying amen? Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Isn't that such a picture of our world? Again, we need Jesus. We need his help. So in this passage, the case is again made in the New Testament where homosexual activity is an example given by the Bible of the ways in which our fallen world has exchanged God for idolatry and God's best for his creation with our own rebellious choices. Here, the Bible makes plain that this teaching is both for men and for women, uh, whereas Leviticus talks about men. But here, everybody, it is made plain, is called to live by God's best for sex and for relationships. Now, lastly, there are a couple more passages in the New Testament that speak about same-sex activity. In both 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 10, and in 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 to 10, we find that practicing homosexuality again forms part of a list, similar to the list that we read here in Romans. And it's, we are told that those who practice all of these forms of sin unrepentantly and without receiving the grace of God and his forgiveness for newness of life, they cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. Again, it's a choice, isn't it? And the Bible makes clear that actually the, the, the words that are used in 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy 1 are words that Paul actually uses in the Bible. They're not used anywhere else. They're words in the Greek that he invented so that he could make plain that he was talking about what was in Leviticus. Again, we are not talking about just, oh, it means that kind of thing, or it just means, oh, that small amount, or it just means that type of people. The Bible is making clear that homosexual activity is not God's best. It is not God's will. It is not God's way in all of its forms. The writing is clear, and there is no confusion. When you read the Bible, do you just read it and you think, oh, oh, well, that makes logical sense, and then walk away from it and have it make no effect on your heart or your activity. I hope not. In no way is the Bible intended to be a fact book. I used to love fact books when I was a kid. I would regularly be found as a child with a torch under the covers, 
and I would be there with an atlas or a big book of natural history. You knew I was really sad, didn't you? Uh, this is the evidence of it. You knew. Uh, I would just absorb facts on anything and everything. To this day, I think I'm the only person who, at the drop of a hat, can tell you which flag of the world is not a quadrilateral. Anybody else? No, I knew it was just me. Ha <laughs> um, That could be part of the Q&A later as well. I love facts. But the Bible is not a fact book. It is not cold. It is not distant from people. It's God speaking from his heart to our hearts. And so when we read sort of passages that we have read today, we need to know that God is not just kind of giving a, a cold and clinical prescription, nor is God simply talking to humanity to give offense No, in fact, God is longing to be in relationship with his creation. God is longing that people may flourish according to his design. So what does this mean for us? Well, many people will say, haven't we just moved on from all of that old stuff in the Bible? Come on, Greg. It's dead old. It's outdated. It's on the wrong side of history. And many people will say that to us. Perhaps we think about it. We may also hear people say, why do we pay attention to those parts of the Bible and not others? Why can we say today that the Bible forbids homosexual practice, but last week we were eating bacon butties? How is that all right? Has anybody ever been asked these kind of questions? If you haven't, then you probably will be at some point. Why is it all right to have bacon butties on Father's Day? The answer is not that they taste really good and every bloke deserves one. That's not the real answer. Matthew 5 and verse 17, we find Jesus speaking to us again. And he makes plain there that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. What does that mean? Well, for instance, Jesus opened up the family of God to everybody. Not any longer, simply those who are part of the nation state of Israel. And so they had rules for their civic life, but we have Jesus They entered in to be the people of God through the rules that were laid down for them. We enter in through Jesus. This is why some of the rules of the Old Testament no longer apply, but Jesus applies, if I can say that about Jesus. More and more and more so. And so we don't have to abide by those rules. Jesus also ended the sacrificial system. When we had our bacon butties, this was not a sacrifice to God's. It was just food. (laughs) Jesus ended the sacrificial system of the Old Testament because we have him. The perfect, the final sacrifice. This is why those rules that are a part of sacrifice don't apply anymore because of Jesus. Jesus also ended cleanliness and food laws. You can read that in Mark 7 verse 19. But Jesus actually himself touched and healed lepers. People that the Old Testament rules said would make him unclean. Would anyone like to hazard a guess? Was Jesus unclean because of it? Oh, yeah, you're really good at this. Um, He wasn't, quite obviously. Not only that, Jesus touched dead people brought them back to life. This is crazy. Jesus ended some of the rules that applied in a certain way because they foreshadowed him. He didn't abolish them. He completed them. 
in a new and a living way. Now, what remains in place are those laws and rules which are continually affirmed by the New Testament and which actually then speak of the morality which God has created for all of humanity at all time in order that we might flourish. People talk about the law. Here we see that the the Bible is consistent in the law. People also say, well, Jesus didn't talk about it, Greg. So why are you banging on about it? Well, in fact, Jesus did talk about it on occasion. And, and you, again, can go to Mark 7 and verses 20 to 23. Jesus, again, lists things that would separate people, make them spiritually unclean before God. And in this list, Jesus includes adultery, lewdness, and sexual immorality. And the word there that he's using would absolutely have been understood by his Jewish audience, primarily Jewish, to include homosexual activity. Jesus, in fact, is talking sexual immorality about all sexual activity that occurs outside of marriage. Again, Jesus is not highlighting one group or one person or one sin. He's actually talking to everybody. And he's saying, according to God's law, you will flourish. Not any other way. Jesus talked about this issue. Tim Keller, he helpfully sums it up for us. He said this, in short, the coming of Christ changed how we worship, but not how we live. The moral law outlines God's own character, his integrity, his love and faithfulness. And so everything the Old Testament says about loving our neighbor, caring for the poor, generosity with our possessions, social relationships and committing to our family, all of that is still in force. The New Testament continues to forbid killing or committing adultery. And all the sex ethic of the Old Testament is restated through the New Testament. If the New Testament has reaffirmed a commandment, then it's still in force today. The Bible consistently affirms that all sex is only to be enjoyed within the faithful environment of a marriage between a man and a woman. For the Christian, for a person who is reconciled to God and seeking to honor him rightly, the options are to be married or to be single. And I don't know whether you realize this, but the Bible honors both choices as equally valid as equally precious before him and enabling different things within the family and the kingdom of God. When the Bible in the Psalms says God puts the lonely in families, it doesn't actually mean that God marries everybody off. It's not what it means. What the Bible is saying that actually God recreates the concept of family. Some are married, some are single, some have kids, some don't. The family of God is all the greater for everybody being a part of it. The Bible makes clear there's no room for one night stands. There's no room, in fact, even for committed and loving relationships, which aren't a marriage between a man and a woman. We can see that the Bible is clear. We can see that the Bible is consistent. 
we can see that the Bible is actually teaching us something that's not specifically about gay or straight or anything. The Bible is teaching us about what it is to be a human in right relationship with God, part of the family of God, able to flourish according to the wisdom and the craftsmanship of God. You still might say, but it's not fair. It's not fair. What does it all mean for you? What does it mean for your friend who's feeling with say, uh, feelings of uh, struggling with feelings of same-sex attraction? Or for your colleague or your friend at school who identifies as gay? Isn't it just all unfair? Well, we said already that the Bible makes the same demands regarding sex and relationships of everybody. A man and a woman can't have sex outside of marriage. Even a man and a woman maybe who find illness or tragedy come into their life so that they're unable to have the part of that marriage anymore. They cannot find that sexual fulfillment outside of marriage. The same rule applies to everybody. Yet someone with same-sex attraction is being asked to live a celibate life, albeit under the powerful grace of God. The Bible teaches that grace is sufficient for all Christians, all lives. It's worth noting that there are many faithful Christians who do exactly this. And we do them no favor by trying to move the goalposts of Scripture in a well-meaning way. God comes to his people. We don't have to move him. And God comes to his people to nurture them according to his unchanging ways. All of the family of God needs to support everybody. Everybody struggles, no matter what they may be, without giving false hope. I would like you to remember as well, as we're drawing to a close, that the most fulfilled, the most perfect, the most beautiful, the most loving, and the most loved person who has ever lived was and is Jesus. A man who never had sex, who never married, who never had kids, Jesus holds out incredible possibility for all who will follow him, no matter what calling he lays upon your life. There is ultimate meaning in human existence, in your life, in my life, in the lives of those that you're speaking to, in following Jesus and knowing his love in you and working through you. What about feelings? I read recently of the life experience of a lady named Jackie Hill Perry. Uh, she's a spoken word artist, a hip-hop artist in America. She's really very good, if you like that kind of thing. Uh, amen, Dan, yes. Uh, she's really good. She speaks for her own life experience of moving from a place where she, she lived and practiced as a lesbian woman, and she affirmed that completely. But going through a process similar, although much more in-depth and much more personal to what we've done this morning, she came to a place where she, she said, I'm going to set down that by God's grace. I don't know how that looks. It's going to be hard. I don't feel sufficient, but I'm going to believe that God's grace is sufficient. And she moved through her journey. You can read her journey for yourself. But speaking about feelings, speaking about this pervading sense of the unfairness of it all, she wrote uh, what she entitled a love letter to a lesbian. And she said this, you see what God has to say about homosexuality, but your heart doesn't utter the same sentiments. God's word says it's sinful. Your heart says it feels right. 
God's word says it's abominable. Your heart says it's delightful. God's word says it's unnatural. Your heart says it's totally normal. Do you see that there is a clear divide between what God's word says and how your heart feels? And she makes the point, and it's the point that she's lived herself. So she speaks with much more power and force than I can today. She makes the point that given our imperfect, subjective nature, our ability time and again to tell ourselves what we want to hear, we need to base our decisions, our big decisions, our lives even, on something more than what feels right. And in the midst of this challenge, in the midst of the weight of this word, we must recognize and always speak the hope of Christ Jesus. We were in 1 Corinthians earlier and we saw the list of sins and the weight might come and the pressure and our inadequacy might be present in many ways. But Paul went on to say this in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. He says, this is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. The journey with God, I might add, is never over. No struggle is too hard for him. No sin too great. Omri now, and he put it so powerfully, he said, Jesus came to announce to us that an identity based on success, popularity, and power, and we might add in a number of other things, is a false identity, an illusion. Loudly and clearly, God says, you are not what the world makes you but you are children of God. No person is excluded, but we all must come to him. All as broken people being healed and made whole, not accepting false hope, but embraced by God. We embrace the best hope of all, even Jesus himself. I wonder, would you join me in a word of prayer? I'm going to invite those who are leading us in worship to come back. I'm conscious this morning that the word that we have considered together, perhaps somewhat different to a word that we may ordinarily um, find in Scripture and seek to understand and apply, seems almost more like a lecture. I've tried not to make it so. But God speaks to our hearts. He speaks to our lives. He speaks a word of invitation, but also a word of challenge. I'm not going to try and pray into everybody's experience, everybody's life, everybody's struggle, everybody's friends, everybody's families. I would invite you to explore this more for yourself and to make those prayers for yourself. You know yourselves better than I know you. You know your families, your experiences, your friends. You know the way that you can speak hope into their lives. I'm simply going to pray that God would help us to wrestle rightly with his word. That God would help us to wrestle rightly with his word. If this is an armchair question, 
and we are simply trying to come to a reasoned, reasonable position that God would help us to wrestle with his word if this is a wheelchair question and there is perhaps significant confusion or struggle or even pain in our experience or in the experience of those who are near and dear to us. I would ask the Lord also that he would help us to wrestle rightly with his word if in all of this we find other challenge challenge in our view of relationships our view of sex perhaps challenge in our view of ourselves maybe we have demeaned ourselves but God speaks to us and says I made you to bear my image you carry the very reflection of the Lord of creation perhaps it is that we need to hear God's voice speaking that to us today that we might be inspired not to cover over that image but to reveal it in all its splendor through Jesus Christ our Lord and so Lord we ask that you would speak to us each as you know how give us the courage not to ask that you wouldn't challenge us give us hearts of genuine humility to hear your challenge in it we also hear your invitation that we might be the people you have made us to be splendid bright shining revealing grace and love and mercy truth and wonder at every turn help us in this we pray as you help us God with these difficult sometime confusing sometime issues we know that when we submit ourselves to you you are with us and you will never leave us or forsake us we know that in submission to you Lord God promise to us is that surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forevermore so again we choose to submit ourselves to you God invite your blessing